0: Well, good morning, Red Hills Church family. How are you doing this morning? Good. So good to see you. How many are ready for Christmas? You're all ready for Christmas. All right. few of you. How many of you? You still have gifts to go. You're going to go out on Christmas Eve and figure out what you want. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Everyone online, I want to welcome you. Can we just give it up for everyone watching online? We're glad that you're here this morning, and um, I'm excited for our Christmas Eve gatherings. We didn't get to do in-person gatherings last year, and so Uh, It's great to be back. It's a wonderful tradition that we have at our church. Uh, It's a great time to bring your family, invite your family. Uh, One priority I always have on Christmas Eve is to share the gospel and tell people about Jesus. And uh, so it's going to be about a a 45, 50-minute gathering. Uh, Come to one of the three that we're doing, and uh, we'd love to see you on Christmas Eve. Uh, Well, I'm going to continue in our series, Do You See What I See, and the series is talking about getting a fresh perspective on the Christmas story, getting a fresh perspective on the Christmas story, because so many times in life we see things through our own filters. We see things through our own lens, and a filter in your life is basically the sum of all your experiences, cause you to look at things in certain ways. That's why I have been saying that no one is purely objective and no one is purely unbiased. You all have subjectivity, you are all biased, and how you view things determines your, uh, or how you experiences in life determines how you view things. And so uh, we have, uh, our our culture has made a big deal about Christmas, uh, but they've made a big deal about everything except Jesus. And so this Christmas series is about reorienting our lives and our focus in this Christmas season about Jesus and putting ourselves into the shoes of some of the characters that we see in the biblical story. One of the greatest ways to expand your filter or open up your filter is to put yourself into someone else's shoes and someone else's perspective, and that's what we're doing in this series. The title of my sermon today is Show Me a sign. Show me a sign. You know, when you have little kids at Christmas, it's one of the greatest joys as a parent. And kids ask a lot of questions around Christmas. Um, Depending on what tradition you follow, your kids will eventually start asking if Santa is real. Uh, And uh, maybe they're going to ask what they're going to get for Christmas. If you're like Brienne and I, we always put Christmas presents out before Christmas. Does anybody do that? Uh, and uh, and our kids shake them. Uh, and uh, I, I swear one year, my daughter got into them, and she knew what she was having. I mean, she is uh, like uh, clairvoyant when it comes to packages. And so she shakes, and she listens, and she asks questions. What am I going to get? What is inside? Am I going to get a knitted sweater from Grandma? Am I going to get socks from my mom Again, how many of you like to give socks for Christmas? Anybody? All right, nobody wants to admit it. How many of you get socks for Christmas? I had to have a conversation with my mom uh, a few years ago to stop getting me socks for Christmas. To to stop getting me socks for Christmas, and this is why. Because when it comes to my socks, I'm very particular. I'm. uh, Yeah, did somebody say amen? You don't even wear socks. What are you talking about? I am very particular about my socks. I buy the same color and I buy the same brand and I do not want to deviate. And so when other people get me socks, I usually just give them away. And before you jump to conclusions and think I'm obsessive compulsive, uh, right? Perfectionist, I know some of you are thinking that way. That's not why. I will tell you why. We have four kids. Four kids times ten pairs of socks at least each—that's a lot of socks. We have now. I don't do a lot of laundry. I will wash dishes and scrub toilets, but I don't do a lot of laundry in our uh, in our household. Uh, but we have an entire laundry basket full of mismatched socks. How many know what I'm talking about? Guess whose socks are not in there. Mine. Mine. Because mine all look the same. So if you want to get me socks for Christmas, I will give you the SKU number to the Kohl's. (laughs) But as we get older, sometimes our questions begin to shift. There are a few less questions about what's under the tree and more questions of how we're going to pay for what's under the tree. Or, Or maybe your questions shape to how am I going to get my family together this Christmas? Or or maybe it's even deeper. How am I going to keep my family together this Christmas? As As you get older, your questions shift. Your questions become deeper. And maybe you've started to ask the really big questions about life. Like, why am I here? Like, what's the point of all of this? Is this as good as it gets? If there is a God, then why do I feel the way that I do? I remember the first year that my perspective started to shift on Christmas. Brian and I got married at a very young age. I was, uh, we were both in college. I was uh, in my, going into my senior year, she was going into her junior year. Uh, and while it worked for us to get married in college, I do not recommend people get married in college. Um, and uh, the, our first Christmas together, December 2002, uh, we didn't have enough money to fly back home to see family. Both of our family live in the Midwest, Iowa and Illinois, and I had to work to to support us. I worked at a bank at a time, uh, and uh, and so it was a, a very lonely Christmas. Um, and I remember Brienne and I we were helping out at this church uh, in in the town we lived in. We lived in Covina, California. And we were helping out at this local church and uh, and there was this family there that invited us over for Christmas Eve. And we're like, yeah, we're going to go to Christmas Eve at some family's house. I don't know what happened, but there was a miscommunication. Like, I don't think I confirmed, or I, I'm not sure what happened, but christmas Eve ro- rolls around. We go to the gathering, and, and we're kind of like lounging around, like just kind of loitering around, waiting uh, to go over to uh, this family's house. And then everyone leaves, and they say, hey, Merry Christmas. We'll see you guys next year. They do one of those things. And Brianna and I look at each other, and we're like, okay, what do we do? Like, we had our cookies ready. We, we had, uh, I mean, we were ready to go. And so... Uh, we didn't have dinner plans, and so we we looked to go out for dinner, and we found the only place that was open. You know, the only place that's open in Southern California on Christmas Eve, is Denny's. All right, it's Denny's, and so we went to Denny's, uh, had an amazing Christmas Eve dinner, and uh, and it was interesting because Denny's was packed with a bunch of other people who didn't have plans on Christmas Eve. It was actually the loneliest scene I think we've ever. And so the next day, we wake up Christmas morning. It's just not the same when you're not with, like, everybody, and there's kids around, and there's a ton of presents. And we opened our present, singular, right? We had one present for each other. And then we decided to go to a uh, movie on Christmas. Have you ever done that? Uh, People do that. It's a tradition for some people. The first time we ever did, the first movie we went to on Christmas was Catch Me If You Can. It is the most depressing movie. So we were at Denny's, we were at a depression, and, and we're kind of asking ourselves this question. Uh, is this as good as it gets? I mean, what, what, what's going to happen next? Today, the text that we're going to read takes us into the heart of the questions that we bring into life. We've seen the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary. Even though she faced uncertainty, she could have responded with fear, but instead she responded with faith. We looked at the Christmas story through the eyes of the shepherds. As they were looking at their circumstances with their look at filter, God showed them a new way to look and they began to look up. The people we're going to talk about today are what we call the Magi or some call the wise men. Grab your Bibles, open your phones, look at the handout. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 through 12. The Characters of the Wise Men. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found them at the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to his house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What do we know about the wise men? I asked you this three weeks ago. How many wise men were there? More than two. More than two all right. There We don't know, but we know that there are uh, more than two or at least two of them. Uh, we don't know a lot about them. In fact, we, we're not quite sure exactly where they're from. In the the text it says they come, they came from the east. Most people believe they came from Persia. Um, Some people have suggested Yemen, some people India, even Babylon, some people even as far away as China. We're not a hundred percent sure, but we are sure of this, that they are not from Israel. (laughs) They are not Jewish. Uh, They do not know uh, Yahweh, the God of the Jews. They are from the east, and and one thing you need to know about the east in the Bible is is that the east and the west in the Bible come be, become symbolic uh, for good and evil. Uh, right for 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 the west, Israel's in the west. In uh, the West is good and is everything godly and it's where God resides. The East is where evil is. And so there's this back and forth between the East and the West. This is why Psalm says, as far as the East is from the West, so far have I removed your transgressions. Like I've separated you from the bad area in the East and I've taken you to the West. Now, now think about this biblical theme. If you were Jewish in the first century and you were reading this story or hearing about this story you would be perplexed why God would write in the characters of the wise men coming from the east. Why would God do this? So who were these men? These men were not people, these wise men were not endowed with special wisdom. But the magi is where we get the word magician. They're actually astrologers. They were part of a priestly class that got their identity, their direction, and their questions answered, not from life experience, which we would call that wisdom, but from the stars. They would look to the stars and read the stars. They were a supernatural uh, people. They were astrologers. They would study the stars and find meaning from the stars. Once again, we see a twist in the story of God in the story of Jesus. Where you and I would write these people out of the story, God wrote them into the story. I mean, this is a twist in and of itself. As a good Christian, we wouldn't add these people in. Some people believe they were part of the occult, all right? they They were not godly people in the sense that we would say are godly people. We know that they're looking for an answer for the meaning of life in the stars. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I remember as a child, we, we used to get the the, the daily paper, or the weekly paper. I uh, we, we lived in a small town, and we got the, the, the neighboring paper, which is called the Clinton Herald. And there was a part in the Clinton Herald that, talked about your horoscope. Does anybody remember the, the days where you'd look at the paper? And my mom made a mistake by saying, Aaron, don't read this section of the paper, all right? You don't say that to a rebellious 13-year-old uh, And because once she left, I'd like, what's it say under a Sagittarius, all right? I'd start reading it. I don't know if you've ever done that, but we want the answers to our question. Maybe some of you have gone to someone who you hope would tell you what's going on or what's going to happen in your life. Maybe you read a lot of books about spirituality, and you want to know your direction. You want to know answers to your questions. At this point, maybe some of you just want someone to answer the question once and for all of why we're on this earth. If you can relate to this struggle, then you and the Magi have something in common, You want an answer to the deepest questions in life. I love it. In verse 2, I want to take you back there. It says this, that we saw this star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. See, they saw a star. They were looking up, and they saw a star, and it guided them to Bethlehem. They were looking in the sky for a sign. And they saw the sign, and they followed the sign. We get so used to the story that we forget how bizarre it really is. You've got astrologers from Persia who were pagan, polytheistic from this priesthood that we would no more associate than a heretic coming into the biblical story. Here's what I find interesting, and sometimes we need to be opened up to this and maybe our 21st century American Christian worldview, that there are many ways, uh, there is one way to God that's through Jesus Christ, but there are many ways that people find Jesus. Are you with me? See, a lot of us, maybe you've grown up in the evangelical church, and, and, and you found Jesus as a child. Maybe some of you just stepped foot into church, like there's kind of some drawing to go into church. I've heard that story before. Maybe some people just... Uh, they needed something. They opened the Bible, and, and, and they found Jesus. One of my best friends was a missionary in Turkey, which is like 98% Muslim country. And before a Muslim would walk into his church, and he had the fastest growing church in, in, uh, in, in Turkey, before they walked in, they would often have a dream about Jesus before they met a Christian. It's interesting how God works in our lives. He he works in unusual ways. He brings us to Jesus sometimes in the most unusual way. You see, everyone's journey as they come to Jesus, it might be different. But I guarantee you, as you come to Jesus and as you discover more about Jesus, you have more questions. Maybe some of you have questions about God. Maybe some of you wonder why there's so much suffering in the world right that's kind of one of the greatest questions that get asked if god is so good then why are so many bad things that happen in the world maybe some of you wonder about creation and science and how those two go together maybe you've been just given a story as a child and then you you know you get education and you read the scripture and you you wonder like how how does this resolve together Maybe some of you wonder, was Jesus really God? Did Jesus really walk on this earth? Maybe some of you wonder, do miracles really exist? There's pretty good evidence that wherever these kings or these priests or magi came from, they didn't know God the way Mary and Joseph knew God. They hadn't yet heard of God of the Old Testament. Obviously, they didn't know what Jesus would teach and what he would do with his own life. They had questions. Questions about life, questions about eternity, questions about purpose, questions about themselves, kind of like everyone has had at some point or another. And their questions were intense enough that they would travel hundreds if not thousands of miles to find an answer to their question, to find an answer to the question that they're looking to the stars. So let me ask you about your questions. Do you ever wonder what it would take to get an emotionally satisfying answer to the question of evil or pain or suffering in the world? It's interesting because this is, you know, when you talk to someone who is discovering faith or maybe uh, questioning Christianity, this is the question that comes up. It doesn't matter how many times it gets answered, but it it comes up. And there are some really good answers for it, but it still comes comes up, and so there isn't an emotionally satisfying answer to this question for everyone. Could anyone ever say anything so powerful and definitive it would settle it once for all? Oftentimes we live in such a way that if we had the answer it would solve the problems that we're facing, and we live that way. But here's a question for all of us who ask questions. What if the answer to your deepest question wasn't actually an answer? What if the answer to your deepest question was a person? What if the answer to the questions of life was not a succinct, pat answer that you could read in a blog or an essay or someone could tell you in a 35-minute sermon? What if it was a person? What if it was a person who is the answer to your question? You know, throughout my life, I've been through seasons of struggle and seasons of doubt. See, even as a pastor, yeah, even maybe more so as a pastor, right? Questioning what God does in some circumstances, questioning why he heals sometimes and why he doesn't other times, questioning a lot about God. It's interesting because I think oftentimes in the church world, we haven't allowed space for doubt. You know that everyone will, if they're raised in the church, they'll go through a season of doubt in their life. It's it's why it's important if you have kids to allow them to process the doubt that they have, instead the force feed them. Then oh, this is what you need to believe. Because all of if they don't do it better, they do it in your household than do it in college. But we need to allow space to have those conversations. I've wrestled with God during different seasons of my life, but when it comes down to it, the answer to my deepest question is never really an answer. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's the comforting love of Jesus. Think about it. If someone could produce an answer so powerful that could ease your mind and thoughts, don't you think you would have heard it already? And even if you heard an answer, it still doesn't stop the suffering. I want to look again at what happened to the Magi When they followed the star, they didn't find an answer to the question, who did they find? They found a person. And church history tells us that the the Magi were changed. And this encounter with Jesus changed their life. It changed their purpose. It changed who they are. It changed how they thought about God. From a very young age most of us realize that when we want answers what we really want is a person. When you're five and you stub your toe, you don't want to know why your toe hurts. You want mom to kiss your boo-boo, all right, and put a band-aid on it even if it's not bleeding. (laughs) You want a person. When you're a teenager and your friend hurts your feelings and lets you down, there's nothing better than grandma's cookies in a conversation with grandma. When you have pain in your life, the answer is not an answer, it's, it's people. It's a person. Why would the gospel be any different? I think this is true for adults, that when you've had a season of loss in your life, chances are you've looked for a little more than an answer. You've looked for a person. In fact, even in the most confusing time in your world, having the right person walk in the room can instantly make you feel so much better. The feeling that everything will be all right. I remember as a 16-year-old, I grew up in church. I was involved in church, but there was a season in my life where I disengaged from church. I think I, that period of going through doubt and rebellion in I remember um, my youth pastor at the time called me up, and I, I kind of had this thing growing up that if I felt guilty, I didn't want to go to church. Anybody, anybody, is that just me? It's like, it's like the guilt that I had, which is like, like the gospel is like the more sin you have, the more grace there is, right? That's the gospel, but sometimes it's not always given. So sometimes it feels like the more guilt I have, the less I want to be around church people and churchy things. And so I would kind of separate myself, but I got a call from my youth pastor, and he asked me out for lunch, and he goes, Aaron, I, w- I, just, I want you to come back. I want you to come back to youth group. I want you to be involved. I just want you to come back. You know, I, I, in fact, if I think about what he said, I can't even remember the exact words he said, but I do know this. I remember how he made me feel. and then. that? Isn't that true of everyone? People don't remember what you say. They remember how you made them feel. Your children won't grow up saying, oh, my dad taught me this, this amazing, like, proverb or this wisdom. No, 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 They're going to realize when they're older, well, this is how my dad, how my mom made me feel. What if the same is true for God? Maybe you think everything will be resolved when all your questions are answered, or at least when your big question is answered. But what if it's different? There's this great preacher and pastor named Frederick Buechner. Frederick Buechner. He's an author, and he imagines God intervening in the universe in a supernatural way. This is, this is what he writes. He says, suppose, for instance that God were to take the great dim river of the Milky Way, as we see it from down here, flowing across the night sky, and were to brighten it up a little and rearrange it so that all of a sudden, one night, the world would step outside and look up to the heavens and see not the usual haphazard scattering of stars, but written out in letters light years tall, the sentence, I really exist, or God is Real. Beekner goes on to say, Imagine God arranging this display night after night in new ways. Ways that engender both deep regret and profound hope. And have preachers who've always said God exists marveling at the confirmation of it all. Realizing that they had been right all along. Maybe even more right than they actually realized. Churches would overflow into football stadiums. Crime would stop. And an uncanny hush would fall over the world. But Beekner says, he imagines at some point, somebody along the way, perhaps a small child with some bubble gum in his cheek, would turn to his father with the crazy courage of a child and utter the words that would make the angels gasp. So what if God does exist? What difference does that make? And in the twinkling of an eye, the message would no longer make a difference. Proof or not, people would turn away. We all want proof, Beekner argues, with his beautiful story. But proof in the stars is not the kind of assurance that we need after all. What we need to know is... Not just that God exists amidst the steely brightness of the stars, but there is a God right here in the thick of our day-to-day lives who may not write messages on the heavens, but who in one way or another is trying to get messages through our blindness as we move down here in the knee-deep muck and misery of the world. That's the answer that the wise men, the magi, found that night. Their answer in the stars led them to a baby who would be the savior of the world. They were looking for an answer, but instead they found a person, Jesus, God, with us. And maybe some of you walked in today and maybe what you need in your life is more than just an answer. Maybe you need a person. Maybe you need an encounter. You need God with us, God with you. Maybe your entire life you've been waiting for proof, looking for proof that God exists. You've been wanting the answer to your deepest questions. And you've been looking at God to fix all your problems and need a fresh perspective, a fresh reality, a way to look at things. Why is that? Because nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is going to fix all our problems on this side of eternity. It just doesn't say that. God is not the fixer of all of our problems. Why? Because we live in the now and the not yet. The the end times have been inaugurated by Jesus and it's between the first and the second advent. But what God does promise is not an answer to our problem but to be with us in our problems. And in a sense, isn't that the true story of the gospel? God came to us. Every step of the way from Genesis to Revelation, it's God coming out of his throne, of his kingdom, of his domain, and coming to humanity. The answer to everything we face isn't actually an answer. It's a person. He promises to be with us in the problems. He promises to be with us in the pain. The reality is this. God is with you in the heartbreak. God is with you in the breakup. God is with you in the mess of family. God is with you in the sadness. God is with you as you try to make sense out of the success and meaningless that sometimes you feel. God is with you in the strangeness of love. God is with you in the financial tension. God is with you in the challenge. That's what the Magi found, God with us. They didn't find an idea. They didn't find an answer, they didn't find a sign, they found something much, much better and much, much deeper, God, with us. In just a moment, we're gonna go into a song, but I want you to bow your heads and I wanna pray and I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus this morning. I'm not sure who this message is for. You know, oftentimes when you write things, when you pray about things, you're not sure who God gives you this word for, but I believe it is for somebody. I believe it's for somebody here. That your deepest desire may have been a question, may have been an answer to a question that you have, but I'm here to tell you that the deepest desire is found in a person. It's found in Jesus. And in this moment, before we go into the busyness and the craziness of the holiday season, let's take this moment. Let's to allow God to be with us. That's His promise. His promise is that he, He is with us. And when He left the earth and ascended to heaven, The Bible says he gave us his Holy Spirit to be with us and that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and that God isn't somewhere out there, but God is right here. You don't have to go find God because God already found you. You don't have to search the world over for an encounter with God because he is here. You simply invite him into your life. Lord, we invite you into our hearts right now. God, those who maybe are struggling in life and need your comfort, those who need your love, those who need your blessing, those who need your care and your comfort. God, I pray that in this season that we can feel a touch from you and that you can touch us at the deepest parts of who we are and that we don't walk through life numb and feeling disconnected, but we feel very much in tune with you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming on this earth to show us a better way to be with us, to comfort us, and that all the answers are found in the person of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, and we praise your name. Everyone said.